0: Welcome back to the Most Accurate Podcast here at 444 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today, first up, friend in life. We know him as the one who's been doing the projections and the rankings all on the site for everyone as the calendars turn to July. It is none other than John Paulson. Paulson, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. I got my Scott Fishbowl in and out shirt on, so I'm getting ready for that draft. And uh, excited to talk some fantasy today. This is where we're, July 4th is the start. I've said it before to me, July 4th is the start of the fantasy football season for most folks. I know there's degenerates out there that have been drafting since February, uh, but this is when people start to tune in, so I'm excited to talk to some, uh, some rookies today.
0: That other voice you heard was good friend in life as well, co-owner of Football Guys. And what is, what is the Sigmund Top 100, Top 200? The you expand it every year. The Blue right. 100, thank you. Okay, that, of course, is Sigmund Bloom. How are you doing? Great,
2: and I think john's absolutely right this is when uh the people that make it look there are those of us that would be uh talking and exchanging all of our takes even if there was no fantasy football industry that's kind of how it was 20 years ago right john uh and then there's the people that actually have made us into an industry a lot of those people are waking up from their rip rip van winkle from football which is good don't be like us cecil likes to say you, you, you don't have uh, you have a life. We don't. <laughs> you know, so although on the John Daigle show, I think you're, you're actually learn a lot about life. Looking forward to that. Uh, it, it, everyone's waking back up and uh, it's fun. It's fun to uh, for us to get the illusion that all this time we spend on all these takes actually matters. It does matter for a lot of people and we're happy to serve them.
0: The John Daigle Show will go wherever the winds take us every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern for YouTube subscribers only. So for free, youtube.com slash 444, subscribe there ahead of time. We're just going to talk about whatever. Both of you will definitely be on throughout the offseason. Having said that, I'm glad both of you mentioned that it is July and it feels like football season now because, Sigmund, you're actually going to be the guest of honor and what we're introducing the rest of the offseason for a front-loaded segment. And that is the riser and faller of the week. And I want to begin with the riser of the week and Devontae Parker. And I'm going to kick it to you first, Sigmund, because we've seen now the last seven days at underdog, Devontae Parker's ADP, went from literally undrafted, which I don't quite understand, to 16th, 17th round, following that three-year, $33 million contract. We're also getting reports out of OTAs that Bill O'Brien's main offense will be 12 personnel. So for all the football nerds out there, one running back, two tight ends, and that means only two wide receivers on the field at the time. So your thoughts on Devontae Parker and everyone's favorite going in the 13th round, Tyquan Thornton.
2: Yeah, well, Thornton, especially if we're talking about ball, is more interesting because he's a big play threat. Devontae Parker, um, you know, Devontae Parker went from, like, when they're, like, defibrillating his fantasy lifespan to they got a pulse. There's a pulse now because they signed him to that extension, uh, and I think this signifies every report Mike Reese who we set our watches by when it comes to Patriot stuff said this doesn't really affect either way that Deandre Hopkins hunt. It isn't to free up cap room to get him. It isn't a sign that they don't think they're going to get him. So they committed to Devontae Parker. I, uh, you know, I, I think that it means that we can expect him to continue to play the role he played in that offense last year, which should be competent. We, we can stop chuckling about Joe judge and Matt Patricia running an NFL offense uh, so there's something there. I do think there's at least a 40% chance that DeAndre Hopkins ends up there, which might send that pulse back to flatlining. And then we're also assuming that the Patriots know what they're doing. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, committing to a 30-year-old, and I know it's not a $33 million deal. It's actually, you know, spreading this out. But you're still committing $14 million guaranteed to a receiver on the downside. Downslide? I did a 40 and slip downside of his career arc. So I I, I think that it's good to see the fantasy hive mind is responsive to NFL news, but I don't know that this is going to be something that is really anything more than a precursor to DeAndre Hopkins just ending up in New England anyway.
0: It's interesting spin Paulson one. I never want anyone to forget that Joe judge actually took all the names of giants players off their jerseys for practice to instill his ego one summer uh still one of the best moments ever for training camp but also since underdog just launched that weekly winners contest it's almost like we're discussing these two players in redraft formats as well since we do need them not just to emerge in the second half of the season but be good weekly so who do you foresee as the more stable the more consistent producer between those two now
1: yeah, and I'll just uh, assume that the sixty percent hits and Hopkins doesn't sign there because if Hopkins does sign there, I'm not interested in really any anybody there <laughs> except for maybe Hopkins, uh, maybe the tight ends. But uh, if, assuming that he doesn't, uh, you know, I'm looking at uh, uh, De- uh, Devontae Parker's, you know, season long stats for the last whatever eight years, and it's you know, it's not pretty. He he, he peaked with twelve hundred and nine, you know, twelve hundred yards and nine touchdowns back in 2019 um 793 yards the next season he hasn't cracked 540 yards the last two seasons he did average 41 yards per game last year and that's just not you know i like to get at least 50 you know on average from my people that i'm thinking about drafting uh he does have he can't he's not a good route runner but he does have good contested catch ability so that makes him a threat in the red zone and, and that's fine and uh and all that but uh, he should be drafted if Hopkins doesn't land there. I do think I would rather have Parker than Thornton unless we start to hear. And this is with, with young players and rookies. It's crucial to listen to the drum beats coming out of camp, uh, whether or not uh, you know, you're know you hearing. Po- if you hear anything negative, just cross the player off because you'd never hear hardly ever hear any neg- anything negative out of the camp. But if you hear like steady weekly positive reports, pl- these players making plays. And Thornton happens to be that player, then yes, he'll move up the draft board, move up the projections. But uh, right now, this is not an offense I'm in love with. You know, Ramondre Stevenson is is appealing, and then uh, you know, Gasecki and Hunter Henry are sort of appealing as tight ends. But uh, there's not a lot of love here for this Patriots passing game right now. They should be better, though, as Signal alluded to, significantly better with a competent coach. So that that's good, and I think that's going to be good for Mac Jones.
0: Let's assume Hopkins does sign there, Paulson. Who do you think would lose out in two wide sets? Do you then assume Parker would start at the boundary? Since Parker last year did run 19 more routes from 12 personnel than Tyquan Thornton did. Thornton, who really didn't even emerge until week 17, which is what everyone remembers since it happened in the best ball championship.
1: If it's 12 personnel and you've you've signed Juju Smith-Schuster... Uh, is he one of the? Is he one of the receivers? And then you have Hopkins. He got and 14 now,
0: million guaranteed as well, like uh, or 16 million guaranteed. Parker just got 14 million guaranteed on that new extension, so it's very competent money compared to Thornton.
1: Yeah, and you're looking at he's a sl- mostly a slot guy. So mm-hmm. how does that all work? Uh, how do you do 12 personnel with Schuster as in the slot? It's possible. I guess there's formations you could run with that. But how does I, it
2: work, Sigmund? Yeah, I want to interject here and say again, yeah. why are we assuming the Patriots know what they're doing? how much money did they throw at Johnny Smith and Nelson Aguilar a few years ago? Yeah. They're not even on the roster. So, I mean, it's good. We should be going through the exercise and it's going to shake out in some way, if it's at least baseline functional efficiency, but you're right. How do these pieces fit together? There's some speculation that they were going after Hopkins because Juju's knees, not right yet. Um, I'll even throw a name out there Demario Douglas. remember what Jacoby Myers did. You know, this is a guy that, that they know and he's got those quick uncovering skills from the slot. I don't know why we should think that Mike Kosicki is going to endear himself more in New England than he did in Miami with his lack of blocking ability. So I, I just think that there's a lot more questions than answers, and it isn't like the payoff is that big if you get the most valuable player in this offense. Even Ramondre Stevenson, you hear Ramondre saying, well, I wore down as the year went on last year. Ty Montgomery's healthy for now. I think Pierre Strong is interesting if they keep that outside zone stuff, they were trying to install in that weird experiment. Um, he certainly popped, but it, you know, it, it's the Patriots. And the bottom line is I, I don't assume that they actually have a coherent internally consistent plan on offense.
0: I, I still, since you both touched on tight ends though, do not want anyone to forget about Hunter Henry and the last round an underdog. We are just last year tied for the team lead in red zone targets with Jacoby Myers. We're only two years removed now from Hunter Henry with a career-high nine touchdowns, uh, also career-high in points per game. So I want to be right back on top of Hunter Henry and not double discount him in a brand-new offense. The riser of the week, though, at Underdog, I think is Dalvin Cook. Only four-spot ADP bump from 83 to 87. But what's happening, Sig, is it's a gradual fall. And that gradual fall will only continue the further he is removed from being signed with a team. We know, reportedly, he has an offer for Miami. It sounds like the Jets are out. But what are your thoughts on what to do with Dalvin Cook right now in best ball?
2: Yeah, Cook and Hopkins are both interesting because it didn't seem like uh, if Hopkins, the fantasy hive mind reacted that quickly. You know, he was falling a little bit. But he was a third-round pick that was falling to like early. It can't be a good thing when a guy gets released, right? How can that possibly be a good thing for fantasy football? I mean, maybe we may look back in hindsight and say it ended up being a good thing. But when we're doing adjusting our range of outcomes, so with Dalvin Cook, I think with both Cook and Hopkins, the bottom line is they're not getting the market that they were expecting. They're not. They're adjusting their expectations down, maybe hoping that intervening events creates a market for them—injuries or something like that. But with Cook, even if he goes to Miami, <clears throat> and I understand that's ideal, right? Because they have a good running game. They haven't had someone that really can consistently harvest the value of it. I'm still more interested in Devin A-Chain. I'm more interested in getting players on the upslope side of their career arc than the, the downslope side, especially when the NFL is telling us in a booming voice with Cook, we're not interested, right? I mean, he's going to get what, guys? Two or $3 million? Four million? I mean, I think the highest... Running back, it was uh, uh, from uh, over the cap.
0: And uh, I think he's holding out for a $5 million five deal. Million. But again, yeah. I like you said, I don't think he gets it.
2: He may not get it, yeah. So I, I think that there's ways they're out where Dalvin Cook hits at ADP because he signs in Miami. Marine Moster can't stay healthy. Jeff Wilson can't stay healthy. Devin A. Chain is used in some specialized way. And he takes advantage of just how Miami's scheme distorts defenses and and really fits well with that. But I also think there's a, a, a hidden message in the fact that we know he got an offer from Miami. He didn't take it. He wasn't good enough to take, even going back to Miami. So I, I just think that that is a good start for his fall. But I think that Once people really absorb and get past the name brand of Dalvin Cook, he should be falling more.
0: Any hope for Dalvin Cook as a top 24 running back anywhere, Paulson?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's hope. I think Miami has this hope that he can finish that high. Uh, He was going around RB 17, 18, I think at underdog, and now it's RB 27. So he's he's going one spot ahead of James Conner, who has a starting job locked up and likely uh, a big workload uh Javante Williams RB 29 who reportedly is ahead of schedule with his knee injury but was out there at OTAs and looks like he'll be out there so you know that that's sort of the the range he's at right behind Rashad White so I think you're projecting a pretty good landing spot for him Rashad White's going to be the number one running back in Tampa James Conner's going to be the number one running back in Arizona Javante Williams is going to be the number one running back in Denver so you're Assuming that he goes and is the number one running back in Miami, I think that's where he's being drafted right now with some talent around him uh, that's probably going to get rotated and used uh, specialized ways. Uh, and you'd, you'd have to hope, uh, as Sigmund said, that, you know, there's some missed games maybe from Mostert or from Jess Wilson and we, we could cook into a 15 to 17 touch role in order to land in that top 24 at the end of the season.
0: Both weekly winners and, of course, best ball mania. Three million to the top, 500K to the regular season first place prize, all happening on Underdog today. Now, Sigmund, we've talked about best ball. It's time to talk about the redraft streets, because as you said, everyone's tuning back in and they need to know how to treat rookies for redraft leagues. Sky Moore was probably dropped within the first three weeks last year, unlike best ball teams when you're stuck with him. Christian Watson on shallow benches. There's no way he saw the light of day on home league rosters before week 10. He may have been drafted, but he was dropped as well. And that's why you have to handle these things differently. And I want to start with B. John Robinson. Because right now in best ball, he is being treated as a top two, top three running back in the first round. Do you view his as such as a first round pick in redraft leagues as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can make a blanket. We don't often make blanket recommendations. And you mentioned two wide receivers. So I'm going to be specific. When I say rookie running backs. I, I don't think there's a rookie running back that's valued correctly right now in redraft i think they're all undervalued which is strange because we should love the allure of the unknown right that's something that we should be drawn to and yet you can go down the list guys robinson gibbs charbonnet a chain chase brown tank bigsby Uh, even Izzy, Abanaconda, like you can go right down. And if you're just looking at their range of outcomes and the possible impact they can have in redraft fantasy football, none of them are priced correctly right now. And with Robinson, I think it's just as simple as this team's going to be really good at running the ball. Really good. Uh, He's going to get as much work as he can handle, which is a lot. He's going to get lots of work in the passing game. And the other thing is, I think we're all probably too low on Atlanta's offense and there's this eye of the beholder stuff are almost like an optical illusion because, oh yeah, uh, Arthur Smith was so, so run dependent. But that was because Marcus Mariota was his quarterback. Marcus Mariota was about as bad as a quarterback has played any year that I can remember. It's like if Nathan Peterman started like nine games or 10 games or whatever Mariota did last year. It was more than that, like 13. It was 23 pass attempts per game with Mariota, 28 with Desmond Ritter. A third round rookie. So what if Arthur Smith is just rational and saying, Well, this is what I can do with this personnel. But now with a whole offseason, hopefully a healthy Kyle Pitts when camp opens. Drake London, who's an ascendant player, was he was the number one, he was the only real threat in their receiving wide receiver group, and he's still performing like number one with terrible quarterback play last year. This could, and they brought they keep the offensive line together. This could be a good offense somehow if Desmond Ritter can just play in structure and plays executed and they leverage the top 10 picks. They have Bijan Robinson. I think running back one is absolutely in his range of outcomes this year. And I think that we're not giving enough credit to Well, if Tyler Algier could do this with Desmond Ritter as a green rookie at the end of the year. What can Robinson do with a more experienced Ritter?
0: A, Good offense in a bad division, and the sneaky part, Paulson, is all of the defensive upgrades they made, at least on paper. Jesse Bates is one of the best run defending safeties the entire league, and the fact that they could bring him over with David Onyemata and Caden Ellis, both who are familiar with Ryan Nielsen, D.C. Ryan Nielsen's scheme from New Orleans, there is is a lot to like here in, again, a weak division. So maybe Atlanta's running the ball and padding leads. Your thoughts on Bijan and redraft leagues?
1: Uh, I would disagree a little bit with with Sigmund not that it's a big deal it you know Robinson is going RB3 I don't think he's undervalued there I think that's fair and you know probably a little bit optimistic for me I, I have Eckler and Chubb and, and McCaffrey ahead of him um, just because we know how those players are going to be used they all have competent quarterbacks competent offenses uh, and we, we're, we're not exactly sure the Falcons do we, we think they might and uh, maybe we're underestimating them but um I think it's. A, I, I would probably be passing on on Robinson for those other three at this point, but certainly a lot of upside. And, and Sigmund's right in that he's got RB1 overall upside. Um, but so do, so do these other guys.
0: Another running back you already touched on, Sigmund, is Jameer Gibbs, yeah, yeah, yeah. someone who we also view as undervalued. The Lions, of course, without Jamal Williams, have every single carry from inside the five-yard line missing from last year, and the most running back touches of any offense missing from last year as well. But so between Gibbs and David Montgomery, there's a lot to go around, but what are your thoughts on Gibbs right now?
2: Yeah, I think that he's in a really exciting play in the fourth round and uh, JJ Zacharyson, uh, he pointed out that I thought this was really excellent. The way he broke this down because everybody, if there's one headline to take out of waking back up from fantasy football and what has happened already in fantasy football, it's that running backs are going later and later than we ever expected. I think the stat that I don't think it was J.J., but someone else said that um, running back six usually goes, the last few years, I think it was Ian Harditz, running back six goes at the seventh or eighth overall pick the last four years. This year, running back six is going at the 18th pick. And that's just pushing running backs down the board. So that affects the old running back dead zone. What's the running back dead zone? Well, let's just say if you're taking running backs between the fourth and sixth rounds or so, you usually aren't happy with your pick. Um, and J.J. broke it down and represented that Actually, the running back dead zone backs that we know more about that have had more uh, volume in the past, they're the ones that fail because they're in the dead zone because we know they're mediocre, but they get volume, right? You were just listing some of them off, right? Rashad White, James Conner, these kind of guys where it's like guaranteed volume. Now, the running back dead zone stretches farther because the running back drafting starts a little bit later this year or it doesn't get up underway as quickly. Running backs in the dead zone that we don't know a lot about. Running backs in the dead zone who are on that ascendant, well, they've gotten in a small sample side, they've done well, or they're rookies. They tend to outperform ADP, right? So we're good at identifying players that should be drafted on speculative value, and that's Jameer Gibbs. What's really exciting about Jameer Gibbs, though, is obviously the Lions had a plan for him. I mean, they were just zeroed in on him. They were going to take him, some say, they didn't get a trade-down offer from six. They would have just taken him to six. They maybe would have taken him ahead of B. John Robinson. It's the fast track. It's the versatility. It's what Ben Johnson's doing in year two full under Ben Johnson. I think you're going to see this offense take off. They have a great offensive line. They have so many mismatches. Jameer Gibbs doesn't have to get more than 12, 13 touches a game if four or five of those are receptions, and he's making some big plays to hit as a fourth-round pick. And, guys, I think it's very possible that both... Montgomery and Gibbs could be hits at their ADP, knowing that this offense, I think, well, I shouldn't say knowing, this is me being presumptuous. I believe this is going to, I should say, probably continue to be one of the best offenses in
0: the league. I think Gibbs in redraft leagues is immediate RB1 in PPR formats. Uh, I would imagine that's how they roll them out. Um, as I've been phrasing it all offseason, Paulson, DeAndre Swift averaged the eighth most targets among running backs for a team that hated him and now they actually drafted a running back in the first round. And so I think the pass-catching chops will get him there as a starter immediately, but your thoughts on Gibbs for redraft?
1: Yeah, I mean, we remember draft night. It was odd. We, we were all confused by what was happening based on what the And rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Swift, they basically got a, maybe a better version of DeAndre Swift or maybe just a healthier version of DeAndre Swift. I mean, I think DeAndre Swift's a really good player, and the fact that they did all this to basically upgrade or you know, on him and basically the same role, perhaps uh, certainly the signs point to big usage for him as much as he can handle. I don't think that they want to overdo it. That's why they have a player like Montgomery. That's why they upgraded, got younger anyway, from Jamal Williams to David Montgomery and uh, definitely agree that Montgomery is a very good value at his RV 24 uh, ADP. Um, Gibbs is going 14, which seems about right. I think I have him at 16 and a half PPR. So, uh, fair value there. Now, the one thing I would con- just want to, you know, alert people to is that we're, we've gotten into the habit now of using underdog ADP as our default ADP. We, there's a lot of sharp people that are drafting there. It's sharp ADP. When, when just your home leagues start, I don't, this, these running backs aren't going to be necessarily available in the fourth, fifth, sixth round uh in in a regular draft i mean rbs are i think are probably going to go earlier when the the rest of the fantasy community sort of wakes up from their slumber and starts drafting so you know if you're going into your home league hoping you're going to get maybe aaron jones at pick 54 it's probably not going to happen so you just be prepared for that um certainly at underdog you can you can wait on running back and get a lot of these cool players in the in the fourth fifth sixth round exciting players in the fourth fifth round a lot of volume there um, and you can start receiver heavy, but uh, just be careful as we get into to the the home drafts and, and other drafts where uh, the ADP is not going to be so wide receiver heavy at the start of the draft.
0: And we should expect more passing touchdowns, aka production for Gibbs, in my opinion, just because remember, Jamal Williams only scored the most touchdowns from the one-yard line since 2015 because Ross St. Brown was somehow tackled inside the five-yard line seven times. Like, how many times will he actually get wrapped up by the ankles that many times again? So that also tells you, be very high on Ross in your drafts. And finally, another pass catching back that is more like the poor man's version of Gibbs, given his situation, in my opinion, is Zach Charbonnet. We've seen Kenneth Walker's ADP dip to RB16 overall and underdog since Charbonnet was added by Seattle on day two. And Sigmund, Charbonnet obviously has pass-catching chops too. He literally, he just had more receptions per game than Gibbs last year. And so, of course, he can be used in the pass-catching role where Kenneth Walker struggled. Your thoughts on Charbonnet and that yeah. backfield as a whole. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, both the Detroit and Seattle backfields uh, it makes me think of Ingram and Kamara, right? And it, it, it just makes me think of it because we need to be open to the idea of a backfield giving us, if not two running back ones, two every week starts, and two players that can uh, you can have both hit. Again, and this one's even easier. Uh, Whatever the ADP ends up with Detroit, Seattle, Walker's going to go after Gibbs in most drafts, and Charbonnet is going to go well after Montgomery. And with Seattle, you have an, again, an ascendant offense. Uh, You have the addition of Jackson Smith and Jigba, so they can do a lot more in three wide receiver sets to put defenses in compromising positions. You have this young pair of tackles they drafted last year. who should only get better. This whole offense should only get better. And sometimes it's guys, it's just as simple as get a good player. And I'm pretty sure Zach Charbonnet is a good player, a good player in a good situation. And then let the chips fall where they may uh, when the, ADP is like, what, 10th round? I don't know exactly where Charbonneau's
0: going right now. And again, in home leagues, it'll probably be much lower than that. He'll honestly be a free contingency player that may have standalone value if he wins the third down roll.
2: Yeah, and it almost seems... Guys, I almost want to do a personality test, right? Where... You should be taking Walker or Charbonnet. If you don't like Walker, you should be taking Charbonnet. If you don't think Charbonnet is going to be a significant factor in the backfield, then you should be taking Walker. But either way, a Seattle running back should be on your target list.
0: It's the same thing as last year, right? Paulson with Rashad, Penny, and Kenneth Walker, where some people stayed away and then remembered, oh, all it takes is one thing happening, the running back to get out of the way, and suddenly the other one hits. That's what it reminds me of with Charbonnet right now.
1: Yeah, he's a classic, uh, you know, zero RB target. Uh, there's an injury to Walker, and now you have a top twelve type player if he gets that sort of workload. So, you know, I was just looking at his college stats: thirty-seven catches in ten games. So, you know, really nice fit for Walker's, you know, lack of pass catching. I think this is a nice one-two combo uh, here. You may not get, you know, a weekly starter, but if if both are healthy. Uh, if Walker's healthy, you know name sure, might you know kind of be in that ten point per game type role. but if there if there is an injury, you're obviously going to see a big increase there. And he's got talent. so and this is also a pretty run heavy offense. They did let Geno Smith throw you know more than maybe what they did with with Wilson previous year. but uh, this is a good a good up up and coming offense, I think.
0: Let's stay in Seattle in the idea of that up and coming offense because, Paulson, I'm having a hard time parsing Jackson Smith and Jigba among DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett for redraft leagues. If anything, I know it's the minority opinion, but I want to be bearish on JSN in year one, even though I understand both Metcalf and Lockett have been injured at different times the last two years. Thus, it only takes one of them getting out of the way and suddenly JSN, who led the nation in yards per route run alongside Players you may or may not have heard of, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, just two years ago. So I need to understand he's a very talented player. But we also know Lockett and Metcalf the last two years have played 32 games together. And it's actually Lockett, who's averaged more points per game and more top five finishes, five to Metcalf's one in that time. So how do you see JSN fitting into this offense as a usable piece in redraft leagues?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things to note here. Uh, you know, if you're if you're hoping for your sixth round pick to be an injury attrition play that's you're playing a dangerous game. I don't I wouldn't be using my six round pick on somebody, even though you know, he does have upside if there's an injury to, to Lockett or Metcalf. But the other thing you noted is that Lockett's actually the number one receiver in Seattle and has been for the last few years. And I know DK Metcalf looks the part uh and it's very close. I mean any in any given game Metcalf could outscore Lockett any given season, you know, Metcalf could make another leap. And, and Lockett could maybe take a, a step back. He's 30 now. So, you know, there, there there is that happening, but he's such a good route runner. And I'm sure Smith and Jigba is going to be a great player, but I don't see him just coming in and overtaking Tyler Lockett. Lockett was a phenomenal value last year. I think he's even a better value or could be a better value this year, given the, the way the ADPs are falling. Uh, Smith and Jigba is going ahead of him. Uh, a few spots it's not that gap is closed it's 63 to 64 now so it was you know maybe 10 or 15 spots before and now it seems like it's quite a bit closer so um i still am on locket i think he's the the best value in this uh passing attack but to me if you're confused by all this just draft geno smith he's a phenomenal value where he's going qb16 now he has and you, you underline the in- injury risk with Lockett or Metcalf and if you know if you're go- going into last year and one of those guys goes down then Geno Smith's value goes down but now we have a backup plan we have another really good receiver if they're, if Metcalf, have to, Metcalf has to miss a game if Lockett has to miss a game you have you have a lot more depth and he's just got a ton of weapons You got got uh, Noah Fant who's got a lot of speed at tight end uh, and we, we added a pass catching running back as well so you know I think that this just underlines that Geno Smith is, is the value there in, in Seattle
0: I heard the yes yeah system.
2: Cha-ching, yeah. No, that's that's it. I mean, this is what this all spells out. And what's fun about ADP and looking at ADP by team, like just look at the ADPs within a specific offense. You're seeing the fantasy football community take a stance, but when you apply it across positions within an offense, there can be inconsistency. So if all three of these Seattle wide receivers are worth their ADP, then yeah, like John said, quite simply, just draft Geno Smith. And the other thing I want to Point out, and this has been a really fun story to follow with Seattle. I think it's a good one just for us to remember in our lives, right? Uh, Most of us thought Russ was held back by the Seattle offense, right? He wasn't being given freedom to be himself. And in Detroit, well, I mean, Detroit, in Denver, they were going to let him spread his wings in a way we hadn't seen before. And he certainly had good enough players around him. And Seattle was going to have to settle for old Geno Smith. And, well, how was that going to work? Uh, how was that going to somehow be an upgrade? And what did we learn last year pretty quickly? Russell Wilson was actually an obstacle, an impediment to Seattle's offense, which you did hear whispers of. In hindsight, when it happened, it wasn't like we say, wow, could you, anybody have ever thought that? There were whispers about that. And that uh, Seattle's offense actually maybe all along was pretty competent and they just weren't we weren't seeing the offense they wanted to be run out there geno smith was running it this may or may not be a green bay take this year we'll see we'll see there's a lot of moving parts to that but again it's one where the narrative has it one way and we learn that it's actually the exact opposite so shane waldron's there and shane waldron was part of what i thought was the kiss and make up part of the wilson and seattle story you know uh, they draft D. Eskridge. What's going on with him? I don't even know. They bring in Shane Waldron, who has a lot of uh, experience in these three wide receiver sets. What Seattle I and mean, what the Rams did, often do Seattle, uh, what the Rams did what, when he was under Sean McVay. Really interesting. So you can have this whole new wing of the playbook activated with Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I think, again, this is an offense. Detroit, I'm, I, I'm not just saying that somewhere in my nice Detroit throwback shirt. I think Detroit exceeded anyone's expectations last year. And I don't, the most bullish person out there on the choice offense didn't have them creating as many total touchdowns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as they created last year. And I wonder if that's Seattle this year. I wonder if we're going to see Seattle really take their offense and unlock even more than we saw before. And it could just could be as simple as guys, we know this when we look back. Sometimes it's just as simple as how much were you on the th- two or three big breakout offenses? And just to being able to identify which ones are the candidates, and Seattle is staring at us in the face.
0: It's also, last year's Seattle offense, a good example why you should bet on talent, as you mentioned earlier, whenever it's considered a value. Because remember, that offense averaged 49 plays per game through its first three weeks. It looked a disaster. But then they said, We have this much talent, we have to change this thing up. And Pete Carroll came out flying with over 60 plays per game all of a sudden. So it's just a matter of betting on talent and hoping things change whenever it's value. I think that's why Charbonnet fits in really well as that zero RB target you mentioned. Another wide receiver who's standing out as a redraft option is Jordan Addison Paulson. We saw whenever the Vikings traded for TG Hawkinson, all they did was say, Justin Jefferson, you you now go deep with your... 8 depth of target before Hawkinson, increasing to over 11, and we're going to keep Hawkinson closer to the line of scrimmage. That's worrisome because we don't know Addison's role just yet. We just know he will most likely play over K.J. Osborne. So your thoughts on Jordan Addison for redraft?
1: Yeah, he, I think he's my highest-ranked uh, receiver, rookie receiver. Uh, and, that's, and this is something, and I think the whole Seattle conversation – Lends itself to this underlying point is when you have to do full projections, which I do, and and football guys does, and uh, many sites do. You really have to make sure that all the numbers make sense, and that's back to that Geno Smith thing. If we're going to have all these receivers, you know, McCaff going wide receiver fifteen, uh, Lockett and, uh, and Smith and Jigba both going in the seventh, sixth, seventh round, then why, where is our quarterback? Why is he going QB sixteen? So I think the same thing sort of applies to the Vikings, in that you're looking at, at uh, Adam Thielen, 107 targets vacated, 70 for seven, seven ones, uh, 716 yards and six touchdowns last year. You're thinking uh, that Addison is taking over that role. I think the big camp battle here is between Addison and K.J. Osborne. Osborne had some really good flashes, 60 catches for 650 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, is he able to hold off Addison and become a, an immense value in drafts, I mean, he's forgotten about it at this point. Uh, you, you think that Addison, is going to, given his draft capital, is going to come in and win that job, but that's not a sure thing. So this is definitely a capital that I'm I'm watching closely because it could turn into Osborne being uh, the you know a, a quote unquote league winner in the final rounds of fantasy drafts.
0: Parse Addison and Osborne. Yeah. Sig. Yeah, and I
2: think the the cuff half full glass half full take on addison is they should ask him to do what he was good at not what he was doing at usc but what he was doing at Pitt, and running short intermediate routes um and i think absolutely uh three wide sets versus that 12 personnel two tight end sets going to be a big deal and i want to point out again i keep coming back to this stuff that i get stuck on guys if i'm doing my prep this year is second year offenses. I mean, we should be excited about the new offensive coordinators who can turn things around like for the Chargers and the Ravens and so on. But Kevin O'Connell, you know, what can he do? Do we start to see this offense coming out of the shadow of the Mike Zimmer era when things are maybe a little stagnant, a little forced, a little static, and coming into the light of the Kevin O'Connell era, which could mean more three wide sets, more passing efficiency, and some values in fantasy football now i would i would agree with john that jordan addison should be the number one rookie wide receiver on your redraft board i don't know that that necessarily means he's the best value in terms of his his actual range of outcomes versus adp i I would maybe look more like someone like zay flowers who's cheaper maybe has a similar ceiling maybe not as high as a floor depending on how receivers do staying healthy with the ravens but Osborne was coming on, wasn't there a game when he caught back to back against the Lions, right? Back to back, twenty eight yard passes to win the and game. He, right? And he had
0: the blow up game against the Colts that yeah. in Week sixteen, I believe, because it dragged teams into the best ball championship.
2: <laughs> it's so funny how players, the best ball championships are going to bring players into uh, prominence that otherwise would have stayed in obscurity. But I, I think you just it just gives O'Connell more modes for this offense which maybe is a little bit more on Addison's downside when you add in Hawkinson like you said so it just gives the and then what's the running game going to look like without Dalvin Cook who we talked about but I think we might see this offense continue to change and probably that will benefit the passing game more than the running game but I still think we're probably underestimating Osborne and
1: overestimating Hawkinson and Addison a little bit can I can I add just a stat to that? I think it's six six 605 pass attempts the previous 2021. 672, I believe, last year, if I remember correctly. So a big jump in passing attempts. And then looking at uh, Osborne's game logs from the end of the season, cut touchdowns in four of his last six games, uh, had 16 targets uh, against Indianapolis, as you mentioned, uh, John. John. Uh, you know, 10 for 157, a touchdown and three for 17 quiet game against the Giants, seven for 59 and a touchdown against Green Bay, five for 117 on six targets against Chicago, and then went two for 20 and a touchdown against the Giants on three targets. So, uh, you know, as the third receiver, there a little bit up and down. And you also have the Hawkinson situation. But, you know, whoever that third receiver is in that offense, I think is going to be valuable. Um, And right now, I think Osborne is the better value based on his chances to win that job.
0: Sig, since I have you here, let me ask, because we haven't got your opinion on the Alexander-Madison situation. Do you think there's a world where all these guys get there? Or are we overvaluing one of the passing game or the running game? Well, there absolutely is
2: a world where they all get there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that stood out to me, fellas, and John makes a really, really good point, that we can get ideas based on, ADP movement or lack thereof in the early degenerate drafting populations and how well is that going to apply to your home league, more casual leagues? Well, to, to be determined, right? I believe Alexander Madison's ADP did not go up very much when Dalvin Cook was released, right? It,
0: strange. it surged a few rounds, but it was already going up. Uh, okay. The, the right. argument, especially for redraft leagues, will be how much higher should it go? Yeah, I I
2: would think... In the typical year, he'd be more like a fourth-round pick, maybe even sneak into the late third round based on what he's done before and that the path is paved there. So, yeah, he can hit. I don't think he really needs to excel to hit. I just think he needs to stay healthy. A healthy Alexander Madison should outperform ADP. And uh, the Vikings have, again, an offensive line. It's young. Christian Derisaw ended up being a great pick for them. But I think it's coming, let's watch Brian O'Neill. He's a really important player on that offensive line. How he's coming back, I believe from an Achilles. Don't quote me on that, but he's coming back from pretty serious injuries. Let's watch that. But I I think Evan O'Connell, I always come back to the narratives. And I think of how everything we understood about the Mike Zimmer era was that he was just this glowering, grim presence over the way the team went about winning football games, right? Ding dong, the witch is dead. And Kevin O'Connell, there's just lots to talk about. It's called, and their their uh, Dofo Mensa, their new GM. Like, there's a lot of collaboration, right? There's a lot of good vibes. There's a lot of good feelings around that building and how they're going to go about building a winner. And I think that that can only mean good things for the offense when we consider that it was Mike Zimmer wasn't holding back the defense. I mean, if anything, the defense misses Mike Zimmer. So I, I, I absolutely they can all hit. And especially when you put them side by side with some of these other offenses and you see the delta between like their second wide receiver and other second wide receivers, their third wide receiver, their number one running back, their quarterback. And almost all of these measures, the fantasy football community is forecasting them to underperform or be a bottom half of the league offense when you add those all up. And I think that there's more uh, cases to be made for them to outperform expectations, which should be at least modestly Productive and efficient to begin with.
0: If we are talking about betting on emerging offenses, Sig, I think that starts actually with the Chargers. And I'm curious where you see Quentin Johnson fitting in, considering he did only have a 10% career slot rate at TCU. Thus, Keenan Allen seems to be the one who's free this year to continue dominating targets. And maybe it's Quentin Johnson competing with Mike Williams instead.
2: Yeah. This is going to be one, guys, we're going to have to be paying pretty close attention to what's coming out of L.A. Because we know this much. Joe Lombardi is, is, is known for dink and dunk, you know, not exciting, not innovative pass offenses. Kellen Moore isn't exactly a rocket scientist when it comes to the passing game, but he made a very efficient passing game with Dak Prescott and, and on an offense where you have this overarching influence of running the ball or winning games, the good old fashioned way or something like that. So it's going to be better. You're going to harness more of Justin Herbert's talent. His talent throwing downfield. Um, Quentin Johnston, I think is the simplest way I would put it guys is the less he plays, the better things are going for the chargers. And I know that sounds kind of paradoxical or something, but if he's not playing very much, that tells me that Allen and Williams are staying healthy, which hasn't always been the case. And these guys are still really good football players when they're healthy. Uh, I think we should still look at... I know Donald Parham was listed as the standout on OTAs. He got a little banged up last year. You know They can still run two tight end sets with him and Gerald Everett, who seemed to integrate well into this offense last year. And I, I think that Quentin Johnson is a player... Like you said, John, he's kind of a work in progress. You know, Players with his size and his speed absolutely deserve to go in the first round when the NFL is projecting the highest end range of outcomes. But when you watch Addison... At Pitt, you watch Zay Flowers, you watch Smith and Jigba. These guys are kind of finished products. I mean, what you saw in college is, is hopefully what a rational team is going to do with them in the NFL. Johnston, is, where, where does he fit? Is he going to be able to win outside? Can he create separation? Is he a player that you manufacture touches for just to get that speed and his prowess after the catch? I'm really not sure. So if they have to use him, we may find out that he has a little steeper growth curve than a typical first-round rookie. And hopefully for the Chargers, he won't be a big factor this year because that tells me their are injuries of wide receiver.
0: I like that little nudge and reminding everyone, the Jordan Addison of Pitt, since Lincoln Riley egregiously did not know how to use either Addison or Marvin Mims at those respective offenses. Paulson, your thoughts on Quentin Johnson?
1: Uh, Just a quick mention of Josh Palmer. You know, he had a, a pretty good season last year, 72 for 769, three touchdowns that's another camp battle to see who would be next up if there's an injury to uh, Mike Williams or to Keenan Allen and who's out there for three receiver sets. So, you know, don't forget about Josh Palmer. Uh, He hasn't moved on. He's still there. And, uh, you know, Gerald Everett, we thought, just for a quick tight end note, like we thought he was moving on or he's going to get cut, but he's back. And uh, we saw what uh, Kellen Moore did with uh, Dalton Schultz and Dallas. So I think Everett is kind of a sleeper right now as well.
0: And finally, the last of the first-round receivers, Zay Flowers, of course, landing in Baltimore. I don't think, Sig, that means that he will lead the team in targets. I still think that's Mark Andrews, no matter how the receivers shake out. But obviously, $15 million given to Odo Beckham, up to $18 million incentives as well, a massive deal for a wide receiver on the open market this year anyways, according to the market, and Nelson Aguilar added to this offense. So how are you – Handling Zay Flowers for redraft leagues.
2: I end up taking him a lot, right? Or I'm planning on taking him a lot. And we could get into, we could do a, a whole 15, 30 minutes on why. The question isn't how will the Ravens passing game get better? It's how much better. It can't possibly get worse. And we may find out that Greg Roman's, again, this restrictor plate on the offense, right? Greg Roman. Lots of talk that it was just predictable, stale offense, very run heavy. And now you're featuring Lamar Jackson as a passer. And then I think you just run the simulation in your head, right? Because uncertainty is something you can take advantage of. Like you talked about with the Walker and Penny backfield, uncertainty. I think there's uncertainty about the Ravens receivers. I mean the number one wide receiver in your right, John, maybe the answer here is Mark Andrews. Maybe the simple answer here is just Mark Andrews is going to send up to that Travis Kelsey level, assuming he can stay healthy in a much better pass offense. But uh, while I'll mention real quickly in conjunction with Andrews, I'd like say flowers because he's going to work more in the middle of the field. I think that's more Lamar Jackson's hot zone than especially outside downfield outside the numbers. Um, But when you just run the simulation, in your head guys, Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman, say Flowers, who's going to play the most games, right? Who's going to be the healthiest? Who's going to have the chance to actually hit their ceiling projection based on what we've seen in recent history? And Flowers is the cheapest. And I think sometimes a really simple rule when we overthink things in fantasy football gets simple. when there's an uncertain situation, take the cheapest option. Just take the cheapest option. But we know this is going to be a much better pass offense. There's going to be ways for us to profit from it. So I think the answer is yes. Just which, yes. Uh, I'd I like Flowers.
0: And if we're talking about an upgrade in the offense, we have to remember that Zay Flowers wasn't just a gadget receiver in college. Like he had 309 targets since 2020. So he dominated targets and also not but, And also got used as a gadget player, like the kind of player we want Chase Claypool to be used at on motions, jet sweeps, and 34% of his routes in his career coming from the slot. So he did all that and got targets. So I think to me, Paulson, I don't want to treat Beckham and Aguilar as, you know, permanent roadblocks. I think they're just waiting to get run over by Flowers, personally.
1: There's a lot to unpack with the Baltimore change in offensive philosophy, and like, how much more are they actually going to throw? How much less is is Lamar Jackson going to run? He's already indicated that he's expecting to run significantly less than last season. Uh, so, if we, I don't know that we can get to a point where this Ravens passing attack is able to support Mark Andrews, Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, you know, on a weekly basis. But maybe it can can support three receivers or at least two. Um, The question I I guess would pose to Sigmund is, what if, and this is the case at Underdog right now, Rashad Bateman's going wide receiver 45, Zay Flowers is going wide receiver 46, and Odell Beckham's going wide receiver 53.
2: (laughs) Oh, it's shifting, yeah. (laughs) yeah.
1: So I, um, I, you know, and last we saw Beckham, and i like to pull up Matt Harmon's excellent reception perception data, 2021, he still had it in terms of being able to get open. All the success rates were still good. I think he's the most interesting to me. However, he's older. How many games are we going to get out of him? Rashad Bateman, can we trust his health? So these are all big questions. And yes, you would think that Zay Flowers of the three is the most likely to play 15, 16 games or more. Uh, And he might end up being the answer. But you know, with Beckham going third, that's the guy I want.
2: Yeah. Well, like I said, the answer is yes. So if we're being... Uh, honest about the top end range of outcomes for any one of these three guys, they're all undervalued. Um, and it's impossible, like you said, that all three or maybe even two of them are going to hit. But, and it also can be, as my co host Cecil Lamy says, Windows, right? I mean, there might be four or five week stretch where Beckham, like out of the gate, Beckham's the guy that looks like he's going to be the league winner. Then Bateman shakes off the rust. Maybe Beckham gets dinged and he has a four or five week stretch and then it's flowers down the stretch, right? As he's not a rookie anymore or something like that. So I just think we have to be agile and just know that this situation is going to help fantasy teams win. You're just going to have to be tuned into it to know. And as far as the early speculative drafts, you just splash some picks around this passing game as long as those values stay low.
0: And Bateman, of course, for those just tuning in, who dealt with foot injuries all of last year, already received a steroid injection into his foot at OTA. So something to monitor during training camp. I think the only relevant tight end for redraft leagues, let's say 15-round leagues, as rookie, is Dalton Cade Sigmund. So let's start with your breakdown of Kincaid and that Bills offense, and then tell me if I'm wrong, because maybe you foresee Michael Mayer or Sam Laporta also being an option.
2: Yeah, th- the Bills are really interesting because it sounds like actually Trent Sherfield is ahead in the number three wide receiver role right now.
0: They could have just drafted a slot receiver. They didn't have to draft a tight end in the right. slot. and
2: yeah, they did a- draft basically a slot receiver. I mean, Dalton Kincaid, when you look at why they drafted him, they drafted him for his passing game chops. So he's another one. I always like to quote Dame Brugler, who's fantastic who, on my show. He said he might be the best receiver in this draft, the best pass catcher, wide receivers included. Um, how does he get on the field though? And I, you know, a theme in what we're talking about, guys, that I think is something where we, as a fantasy community, we can help uh, inform people is generally when it comes to pass catching options, we maybe are a little too optimistic about the rookies, right? Instead of just Jackson Smith and Jigba, think. Tyler Lockett instead of Jordan Addison think KJ Osborne instead of well, I don't know if there's an instead of for Dalton Kincaid but uh, there's also Deontay Hardy who they added he adds an element they didn't have before Khalil Shakir looked like a player who's deserving more playing time last year and it could be a good problem for the Bills and a bad problem for us in fantasy leagues but I want to talk about Sam Laporta so I think Kincaid I think we got a little ahead of ourselves on Kincaid and, and- it's just Go ahead. And you,
0: you said there may not be an instead for Kincaid. Allow me to present to the table Dawson Knox as the sure. instead who keeps getting lost. But if we're already assuming and we know that Kincaid's going to be used as a slot receiver, then we know Dawson Knox will also be on the field. And Knox the last two years tied in nine and tied in 12. Literally tied right. in one right. in points per game. Also the second most end zone targets at his position the last since 2021. So he's there and he's still relevant. So that is my instead proposal.
2: Yeah. And I think what's funny about Knox is, I mean, there was a time guys, Bubba Franks, remember Bubba Franks, like the touchdown dependent tight end. Oh, well, but hey, the touchdown dependent tight ends. Okay. These days, when you look at what was on the waiver wire and what you were scrounging for, if you didn't have a reliable option last year and yeah, Dalton no- Dawson Knox can still be that guy. And you're right about the instead there. It means it's still when they're in three wide receiver sets, Knox, going go there, I just want to talk about Laporta really quick. Um, and I keep uh, uh, people that follow me from show to show might uh, you hear these quotes, but Thor Nystrom, he's awesome. He brings so much enthusiasm and acumen to the work that he does. He said, when he was on my show, that if, without Sam Laporta, Iowa might have had one of the worst offenses in the last 25 years in Power 5 schools. That's how important Sam Laporta was in Iowa's offense. Uh, De- Detroit goes out and gets him. And I think this could be a situation, guys, where you have uh, maybe not a ton and consistent targets because they have so many, if everyone stays healthy, they have so many good options there. But when Laporta gets targets, when he's a big part of the game plan, it's because he, they, they found something they could exploit in the defensive personnel. And I think Laporta is a player, you got to get fired up watching him after the catch, right? You know he's going to be playing against stressed-out defenses. We already talked about Jameer Gibbs. Jamison Williams is going to be returning seventh game of the season. Amon Ross ain't Brown. Like you said, John more talented than we even realize, or more could be more productive than we realize. Uh, and I, I just think that this, this is an offense that, and the other thing I like about this offense guys is, well, it's paired up with a porous defense. <laughs> it's paired up with a defense that gets you into shootouts. And it doesn't seem like Ben Johnson, Jared Goff. It doesn't seem like Dan Campbell, they have more of that Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. We're not just going to let up because we put 38 points on you and it's 38-17. You know, they have an offense. They love it, making it click and go. And Sam Laporta could be a big part of that right away. So I do think there's a second name on that list, John.
0: As Rich Rebar, who came on the Best Ball Happy Hour every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, shameless plug on the YouTube channel, uh, pointed out to me, he also – Mentioned about Laporta that yes, only seven career touchdowns for Laporta, but Iowa's offense last year only threw for seven touchdowns, yeah. which is an amazing Reeb stat. But Paulson, your thoughts on Kincaid and the rookie tight ends for redraft?
1: Well, I hate rookie tight ends and fantasy redraft. It's just it's usually a, a, you're a losing proposition. But you know, I have Kincaid pretty low relative to ADP. I've got him at twenty. I've got Laporta at twenty-one. I think it might just take one clip of a great catch by Laporta to move uh, Laporta up over Kincaid as my number one rookie tight end. But I think there are a couple other guys that are going to play a lot, and that's Michael Mayer and Luke Musgrave are both, I think, going to start for their respective teams. And they're going to pop their heads up here and there during the season, and these guys are going to be in the streaming conversation because they are likely to play 70 80% of the snaps. Uh, Not great passing games, perhaps, but uh, those are the four – rookies that stand out as guys that are going to play a lot, and you need that as a starting point if you're going to try to bank on any of these
0: rookie tight ends. And finally, remember, we get into redraft discussions. Most teams strategically only take one quarterback since you don't have to worry about that backup spot blocking another high upside contingency player. And when we're talking about rookie quarterbacks, I think that one player in shallower leagues will and should be Anthony Richardson. The issue segment is we don't know how many games he will start and also his potential ceiling to carry teams. We saw Justin Fields just last year basically have no passing production, but it doesn't matter when you average a position high 10.8 rushing points per game, which is what we think Anthony Richardson will bring to the table with a career eight carries and 55 rushing yards per game as literally the most athletic quarterback in combine history. So your thoughts on Richardson this year.
2: Yeah, I think if you understand fantasy football, then he's on your target list at your second quarterback. That's fine, just because we know he has the potential to be a special runner. We saw Justin Fields in an atrocious passing game last year, still matter for fantasy football. So there's a lot. There's it's a clear path. You don't even have to tell a story. You know, earlier in the show, we're telling a story of how Dalvin Cook can hit or something like that. Like, well, if this and that, you don't get too far into the ifs. To tell a story where Anthony Richardson hits, and I think what Shane Steichen did with Justin—I mean, Jalen Hurts—is the only nudge you need to jump into the the deep end with Anthony Richardson. Uh, it's it's exciting, and I, I I was guys, I did the fist pump, the oh yeah, when he went to Indianapolis, just because I know he's going to get a chance to really become the player he could become in a best case scenario with Shane Steichen, and I think it's really up to him how quickly he learns how important that's going to be for fantasy this year.
1: Yeah, I would just mention that, I mean, we, it's the rushing yards for Anthony Richardson. And I, the interesting thing I did when, when I, I found that when I was re- researching him is that my rookie quarterback model, the best thing that it does, it's not very good in a lot of areas in terms of predicting, you know, yards per attempt or interception percentage or anything like that. The thing it does really well, it's a starting point for me, uh, but it does, it does predict rushing yards per game very, very well. And the the model right now projects 29.3 rushing yards for Richardson, but it undershot Jalen Hurts by about 17%, projecting 43 yards for him. And he actually had 52 uh, in his first season as the Eagles starter, 52 yards per game. So my assumption is that Steiking is going to run Richardson more than usual, like he did with Hurts, and try to maximize uh, his his legs. So not your typical thing, you know, you know, the quarterback, rookie quarterback comes in, he's going to scramble about as much as he scrambled in college. And here's his, you know, likely rushing yards. They're going to plan runs for him. They're going to use him as a runner. And that's going to get him into the top 10 or 12, uh, assuming he gets the requisite number of starts. I think that's the one concern heading in. They've got a pretty capable backup, Gardner Minshew. Uh, how quickly do they want to to start uh, Anthony Richardson on a consistent basis? Uh, you know, but it's a, it's a great fit for him with that coach and a pretty good receiving core as well.
0: Like Trey Lance's rookie year, Sig Richardson should be drafted and then just padded for draft sure. someone else to start the first month of the season, no matter what, that's not yeah. the question. But if Richardson starts week one, is that someone you're more than comfortable with in redraft leagues, literally rolling out as your starter, your lone quarterback in week one?
2: Probably not in week one guys, just because wow, who you compare him with. I mean, you compare him with Jared Goff or Geno Smith or, Dak Prescott, if you're taking two quarterbacks in that 12 to 18 range. So probably not just to be safe. And I, I like fantasy football problems where it's uh, if you have the player on your bench, you're still excited, right? If you have Anthony Richardson on your bench and he gets 30, 35 points with hundred plus yards rushing and a long rushing touchdown, like a scramble that turns into a touchdown. Well, that's great. That's a good thing for your fantasy team. Uh, so I, I, really, I just want to talk about how good the quarterbacks are around him so that you don't have to make a hard choice when you're making him your quarterback, too.
0: Fantasy football problems, unlike Twitter problems, are exciting. You are correct. Stigman, Bloom, tell everyone where to find the rest of your work
2: oh yeah football guys we're doing our thing and everyone's waking up and it's beautiful to get to do this to get to do this with y'all to to be kicking around this fantasy football sandbox as long as we have and uh it's it's going to be great everyone like uh, all that work we've been doing all off season it's going to make us feel relevant it's going to make us feel like uh everybody's listening because they are and again this continues to be that shelter or that safe place where at least when we're imagining our fantasy teams everything else fades into the
0: background I was just at a get together with friends yesterday for 4th of July Paulson and the wives, the husbands, the boyfriends, all they did was talk about adding extra podcast into their daily regimen now because the time has come.
1: Absolutely. This is this is one of my favorite times of the year too because it's the, the it's not quite a sprint right now, it's more of a marathon. Uh, I'm able to relax, research each player, I'm writing up each player for the for the draft notes for the site. Tweeting out some of the more interesting facts, getting my uh, 99 stats article together, and it's it's a low pressure right now. Uh, you get into August, you get into late August, you get into early September, and things are really ramping up. Everybody's got a million questions, but right now is the time to do as much research as you can. Start catching up with what's going on with these different teams. Start you know subscribing, resubscribing to your favorite podcasts, and uh, just get a you know a baseline set of information as you head into uh, mid July and uh, early August
0: youtube.com slash four for four for all the other items you will not see on your podcast feed. But until then, we'll be back next week. And you know what to do. You'll be a little bit kinder towards what's required. See you next time.